This is Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, a podcast and radio program presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. Most any contemporary musical style can trace its roots back to the blues. Time Signatures explores the blues and its musical connections with captivating interviews, lively discussions, and news from the world of the blues. And now, here he is, your host, Jim Irvin. Hey, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you might be. Uh, glad to have you with Time Signatures with Jim Irvin and Dedalian. How are you today? I'm doing good, man. Good to be a part of this once again. What is this? Uh, number three, four, five, six, seven. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know because we don't know when they're all playing. Because no, we're, well, we're just spitting them out. That's what we're doing. Is that what it is? We're okay. kicking them out and we're, we're just laying them down. Number Every, them later. Yeah, that's yep. exactly it. That's the way we roll. <laughs> Well, we are really glad to be here today. We are actually coming to you from in-studio this time, as opposed to on location. And my very special guests are two more members of the Greater Lansing Area Blues Royalty, Mike Scorey, uh, Scorey Auto Sounds, yep, and yep. Jim Alfredson. Welcome aboard, guys. Thanks for having us. Glad to have you both here. And uh, it, it, we've got a lot of really cool stuff to talk about, because both of you were very integral in the in the growth and the beginnings of what I like to call the blues movement in the greater Lansing area going back uh, well, nearly 40 years I would imagine somewhere in there oh yeah so um, basically just if you need to make things up as you go along that's you're allowed to do that <laughs> that's, that's what I'm best at <laughs> we talked about that before we started this but uh, Mike I want to start with you man because when I when I talked with Freddie and James, um, your name came up a lot. Of course, Jim's came up a lot, but I would like you to, to kind of go back and tell the story, that initial, uh, contact with Freddie, when you decided to get things going with oh, the yeah. downtown band or down, was it downtown blues band? Downtown, downtown blues band. Yep. Yes. And which ultimately became the root doctor band, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. talk about that story and, and how that started. Okay, I hope it matches with Fred's. <laughs> oh, I, I will, I will, I will make sure that it like either a, does or does. Like going to the police station. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's I, you know, I was you know one of the many times that I was I was out of music, never going to play again. That's it, I'm done. And a uh, Scott Allman called me up on the phone one day, and I I, I kind of knew Scott a little bit. I didn't, I knew him because they had this deal where they would have this, they had this <laughs> company where they would get people to donate their records. And then they would have sales like once every couple of months over in East Lansing. The Vinyl Crisis Society. I remember that's that. That's right. The Vinyl Crisis. So that's how I do it. But I thought, man, that's cool. Everybody's giving him his stuff. So he calls me up. He goes, oh, look, we got a chance to get a gig. I go, oh, well, look, I'm not playing again. Yeah, whatever. Okay. So he says, you got to go down to Tango's, yeah. the old Naps building, and you got to meet Fred. I go, I don't know who he is. He goes, you'll know him. So because I knew the Ides from... You know, we're all, everybody's Lebanese, so sure. everybody knows everybody. So um, I, w- I just went down there, and I saw Fred, you know, from the description. And one of the eyes came over and started asking us, now, you guys, uh, you've played a lot. You know, you, you guys been around? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we played. We played. Uh, we, we, but there was no, you know, you couldn't Google anything. It was just <laughs> whatever we said. So we got the job, and that was it. Um, every Every Saturday. I got to believe that went for a year, year and a half. 
And um, so we got the job. And even then, I kind of didn't want to do it because I didn't have any equipment. So I had to go out and buy some equipment. That's <laughs> that's What happened to buy other equipment is another thing that will make me cry. <laughs> it's it bad, 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 bad what happened. But anyway, so we uh, Fred said, okay, I got a bass player, which was James. And Scott was in the band at the time. Mm-hmm. So let's put it together. We got a, went through a couple drummers, and we ended up with uh, – uh, Orc, Orc. What's his? What's Orc's first name? Orc. Oh, jeez. Uh, Orc. Oh, God, I'm, I'm just nuts. Anyway, Orc. It's but, obviously what he's known as because that's yeah. the same thing Freddie said was Orc. Is Orc? <laughs> Orc. <laughs> Who yes, was a bass player? So, yeah. I, and right. I don't, I don't yeah, think, yeah. I don't think he needs a first name. It's just that. So, but he was a bass. I mean, that's his instrument, his bass. But he, you know, he's, he's just got got it, and then he played the drum. I will play the drums. I know how to do it. So he was the drummer, and then uh, we, it's, that was it. We started on that gig, and we had a blast. Now, Jim, you, you came into the picture relatively early in the, the Root Doctor, did you not? I guess it depends on what you mean by early. I, I would say probably middle, maybe. Okay. Because I, I came in in, like, 1999. two keyboards after I left. Yeah. Two, okay. Okay. Um, so you you started and then and then Jim it was Fitzgerald's in, right Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald and uh, and then Decker Decker yeah okay Doug Decker now when you but when you came on Jim yeah. I was told that you weren't old enough to be in some of the places that you played in is that correct barely I was just turning well the first time I played with them I was just turning twenty one but when I actually got the gig full time I was twenty two by that time okay yeah. And, so. and and talk of I mean this has got to be for you it I'm, I'm going back in time here it had to have been a just a an explosive time in your life I mean to be playing with a with a band of this caliber which I mean by 99 they were pretty well on their way were they not yeah they were you know playing the best places and uh, playing all the time and playing in different cities across Michigan and traveling and that's exactly what I wanted to do so it was a perfect fit now what's funny and I had to, I had to tell the story the other day because somebody asked me uh, when I was out with Larry McRae this weekend. They're like, "How long have you been playing with Larry?" I said, "Well, believe it or not, he asked me to join his band in 1999." Really? And I had just joined Root Doctor. Wow! Like two weeks before. So what happened is Decker went to Japan, Doug Decker, and he left me. I was his sub. He was going back and forth, so I would sub for him for a couple months, and he'd come back. And then I'd sub for him again, and then he'd come back. And then finally he left, and they're like, "We're not, we're not getting, we're not hiring him again because this is too crazy to go back and forth." So you're the guy. I'm like, "Oh, okay." It was just kind of decided. And then I got his other band that he was playing with at the time, uh, the Blue Avenue Delegates, mm-hmm. that held court at the Green Door every Monday night for what 25 years or something. Wow. And so I had those two bands, and I was, you know, Larry calls me up or his manager calls me up and offers me the gig, and I was like, "Ah, I think I'm okay." And I turned it down, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But but I mean, looking a, looking back, would you would you have changed your mind? Well, I mean, looking Honestly. back, I, I I met my wife at a root doctor gig. There you go. So it was meant to be. Can't thought, argue with that, right? No, absolutely. I mean, it, <laughs> well, we just reminded me the the blue Avenue delegates. I did that for a year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of serendipitous though, getting into the music and meeting your your future wife. Well, it was great because. With the delegates, anyways, they never rehearsed, ever, because they've been playing this stuff for 20 years. And Jerry Glasshole was the guitar player, brilliant guitar player we lost quite a while ago. And 
he would just turn to me and yell out the changes. And if I wasn't playing the part right, he would play the part on guitar, a keyboard part on guitar. Wow. Play this. And I'd, and I'd copy him. And he's like, good. And then after the gig, he'd be like, you did great. What go year? go listen to this tune. Go listen to this tune. What year was that? That, that was starting in 99, up until they... Oh, when they, I was in it, was, it was way earlier than that then. Did they rehearse? Yeah, we were supposed to rehearse every Monday. That was a problem. Because <laughs> we were supposed to rehearse every, every Monday at the bar. Yeah. And I had just, uh, we adopted a daughter. And she was a baby, so I had to bring her in in the... Oh, my gosh. In the little, uh, you know, little basket. Oh, wow. And... um. I would go there. And you it raised was her up right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, we made a lot of jokes about that. Too. You, were, you were raised in the bar. And um, so I would get there. And the, like Jim was saying, it was a pretty relaxed situation. So if they called the rehearsal for two, the guys might get there by 3.15. And I'm like, look at my watch. Look, at I got to go. I can't stay home. So that was a bone of contention. I said, after about a month of that, I said, I'm not doing it. I'm not practicing anymore. So yeah. that ended the rehearsals. Maybe I killed it. I don't know. <laughs> I think by the time I got in, they'd, they'd been playing the same set for yeah so long. It was just like, but yeah, to get back to your point, I mean, uh, meeting my wife on a Root Doctor gig, again, it was, it was obviously meant to be. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, now that uh, I'm older, Larry's older, he's more established, now playing with him, it just fits, I think, better. At that time in my life, it was definitely the right move. See, you're pulling me right into this, and it makes me want to talk about it. So we'll, let's let's spring into Larry a little bit because yeah. I've, I've been following Larry quite a bit. Uh, he actually came and did a, uh, a couple of fundraisers at Urban Beat for the Ukrainian situation. Yep. And Larry's just one of the most personable people you ever want to meet. But it's, it is so cool to see Larry play and come into town and – uh, this particular time, it was the McRae brothers. It wasn't just Larry. And uh, Mike Lynch was on keyboards for him. And and Mike was just just going gaga. He was so excited because he hadn't played with the McRae brothers since pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. So like you, uh, I, I can't remember who it was you were telling. It was, talked, to, talked to you through the key changes and things like that. Yeah. Larry was doing the same thing with Mike yeah. <laughs> during sound check and rehearsal, yep. you know, pre, you know, starting the program. And it was just, there's something about the music scene in the greater Lansing area. Y'all just kind of mix together and keyboard players end up in three, four, five different places and guitar players, you know, the same thing. And it's, to me, I think it's a wonderful thing that you guys are, there's, there's a big familial uh, group here. It's, it's very much like family. For sure. And I, I love to see that because you guys just have like instant chemistry when you get together to play because you've done it before. Not only that, it's like you said, it's a big family. So we're just up there having fun. Nobody's trying to cut anyone, you know, we're not trying to show all our greatest licks or anything like that. We're just playing music together. Just having fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that was the most the most fun about that day is watching Mike just jamming away. I got pictures of him playing the keys that day, and and he was just just leaning back, just rocking with it, and yeah. having a great time. And it was it was to me it was probably one of my happiest moments watching these guys play together because I'd never seen the McCray brothers play together either. Mm-hmm. So it was a big thrill for me. Yeah. But going back several years, I'm going to ask both of you this question, Mike. I'll start with you. Um, Talk about how you got into music. What what led you there? What what kept you there? You know, I, I was terrible at sports, so <laughs> it, was, 
it was only, you know, it, I didn't have any alternative. I mean, it's big too. In high school, I was kind of big. I was big like I am now, but I was terrible. So I did try, you know, the football coach could not give up, <laughs> kept sending me back to the gym. So I looked good. I was looking good, but terrible. So, and I, you know, I don't know what got me going, um, the kids, everybody was get, getting in a band. I mean, that was just the, kind of the thing you do this. You got to remember this is, I graduated in 71. So sure. Probably first band was maybe ninth grade. Mm. And, um, it wasn't even, can I play good? It wasn't nothing. Can we find three or four or five people to show up? And the music was different then because it would just be, you were, if you were lucky, there was one guy that could kind of sing. Nobody wanted to sing. And, um, me and Jim have talked about our dad's, so much. And one of the things I remember is I didn't have an amp. I didn't really have a keyboard, but I did odd jobs and I got a Honer, Honer Pianet, I think it was called. <laughs> and then my dad said, oh, well, I'll make you an amp. We'll make an amp together. So he got a Bogan PA that he got from, I don't know where he got it, some cell, uh, you know, uh, I don't know where he got, volunteers or something. And we got that fixed up. And then he helped me cut out a speaker out of wood. We made it. And we had a whole bunch of TV eight-inch speakers. He goes, I got a bunch of speakers. Oh, my God. So we put, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I said, I'm ready to rock. <laughs> so we got bands. Nobody ever played any jobs. Maybe to a, you know, a, a, year, a winner, you know, maybe somebody's party in the sure. basement. So I, that's how we got. That's how we got going. I have to throw this in here because you talked about high school and my biggest memory of high school. And no, I didn't get to go to the concert. And damn it, I wish I had. We had Bob Seger come and play at Bay City oh, Central okay, yeah. in, in Bay City. That's where I'm from. And this little unknown band opened for him that day. And we've got pictures of it in the whole nine yards. It was Van Halen. Oh, nice. Before they were anybody. Wow. They opened for Seeger here in Michigan. So wow. it, was, it was really a cool thing. Here, so One more thing about growing sure. up and something I don't think about enough is when we were about that age, I don't know, maybe 10th grade, and they used to have concerts at the old, old Everett Field the old, old Everett school. And one of the bands was Brownsville station, you know, but to us, they were gods. I mean, they were just, they were, they were the Beatles to us and they got done playing. And we were such huge fans. We were just like little puppies looking at them. <laughs> and the bass player came over Oh, and Cubby, both they came over and started talking to us we're like shaking. And finally Cub goes, what are you guys doing? You got a band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a band. <laughs> what kind of, what kind of music you're like? Well, we like this and we like that. And the other thing. And all right, keep practicing. And then the bass player came over. Yeah, you got to keep practicing. You got a metronome. You got to keep practicing. They were so sweet, you know, yeah. just a throwaway minute for them. They had to pack up their own gear. But, man, I don't remember to do that enough yeah. for the kids. Yeah. And, you know, know when, when Larry was in town the last time, I brought my son out because I've always wanted my son to hear him play. Um, and my son, he's going to be 21 here in July, going to be a dad in September. So I'm excited about that. Um, but I brought him with me. And uh, went up there and introduced him. And, of course, my son plays a little gu guitar. And Larry looked at him. He says, man, he said, uh, he said, you play guitar, I heard. He says, yeah, a little bit. And he said, well, he says, play for yourself. When you're ready to share with the world, he said, then you share with the world. He said, but in the meantime, if I'm in the area and you ever want to pick some strings, look me up. Wow. And I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's that it, I love right about there. this, yeah. About, yeah. about the blues and about the people in the greater Lansing area. You know, and of course, Larry, he might as well live here. He spent so much time down mm -hmm. here. Um, but that's what I love about the people that, that are in the music business in this area right now is everybody is like that. They're yeah. all very personal. 
So, Jim, your turn, man. Talk about how you got involved with music. What turned you on? Uh, my father was a musician. Okay. Uh, he played guitar mostly. He also played a little bit of Hammond organ. I had a B3 in the house when I was a kid. I think he sold it when I was like four or five. Uh, but I do remember it. Were I, you mad at him? <laughs> I was. I actually didn't forgive him until he got me another one. Uh, <laughs> but he uh, he tried hard to make a living as a musician. He actually lived out in San Francisco for a while. And when my grandmother passed away a few years ago, his mother, she actually had his receipts from the gigs that he played. Wow. And uh, it was fascinating to go through those and see how much bands are getting paid back then. Just not even famous bands, just playing restaurants and clubs and stuff. He was making like 67 bucks a night in 1965, 66. That was like, good money back That's then. That's good money. Yeah. Holy moly. Anyway, uh, he came back home, got married, started having kids, and got into the piano tuning business and, um, you know, stopped playing, stopped playing gigs. But we had so much gear at home. We had drum, you know, drum set and bass guitar and guitars and keyboards and pianos because he was fixing pianos. And I just fell into it. I just, especially with the organ and once we started getting synthesizers, I really got excited about the potential of that type of sound. And then his record collection was so eclectic. He had everything from classical music to jazz to blues to classic rock, of course, and prog rock. And I mean, a little bit of everything, country, Western, I mean, just everything. So I just dig through the record collection and be like, oh, what's this? This looks interesting. Put it on, get my mind blown, go to the next one, something completely different, you know, Marvin Gaye to Pink Floyd to uh, Jimmy Reed to, you know, Van Gillis. I mean, just everything. And, uh, of all my siblings, I have five sisters and, and a brother. Of all my siblings, uh, they all are musical. They all played instruments for a while, but I was the only one to really uh, get hooked on it and just do it full time. So uh, start gigging when I was probably 14, playing beer tents in Mason, Michigan, getting uh, into, into not me, but seeing fights <laughs> break out between the, the hillbillies and Mason. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's, that's where I live. All right, there's an edit. <laughs> yeah, there's an edit. <laughs> fights no, were, uh, they are common. Well, the fights, that we, there were fights in the in these beer tents, but they were usually musically related. You'd have the Seeker camp on one side and the Leonard Skinner camp on the other side. they start oh. yelling at us. And it was a country band, so, I mean, these were rowdy folks. Um, and then, yeah, I didn't uh, really get a full-time gig until I joined Root Doctor, and then that was like the full-time, every weekend, you know, playing somewhere else. It was great. We should, we should probably clarify that you're one of the hillbillies, right? Oh, I'm from Mason, yeah. so I can say Are you that. really? Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah. Okay. Lived See, it. I didn't do my homework entirely. Yeah. I missed part. I only know because I'm from Mason. So. Yeah. I, I went to school with his brother. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Small world. It is. Yeah. We, it's kind of like we the We actually met. You probably don't even remember. I remember. Yeah, that wedding. My sister's wedding, yeah. Oh, was it your sister's? Yeah. I didn't know whose wedding it was. Yeah. We were playing at the wedding, and these guys wanted this guy wants to jam. We kind of knew your dad. Yep. And then you got up and played there, and I don't know what I had, but whatever it was, you made it sound good. And <laughs> so there you so go, extra small world. Yeah. We we're going like, all right, let's get out of it. Get this set rolling now. Keep, no, <laughs> sounds great. Keep going. Keep. You're at the bar. Yeah. Keep going, kid. Keep going. <laughs> so I'm I'm going to fast forward just a little bit. I'm I'm dying to talk about what you guys are doing now. Um, Jim, I like I said, I've been following you, but uh, you've been you've been busy for the last few months, haven't you? Yeah, after the you know pandemic, things were kind of slow to get going again, but now I'm at the point where I need to shift my focus and figure out exactly what I want to do because 
both Mike and I have gotten into the repair business, which is a lot of fun. Um, I've always been interested in electronics since I was a kid. And so during the pandemic, when I didn't have a gig, I started repairing vintage synthesizers and stuff. And uh, it's been really rewarding and fun, and I really love it. I can imagine bringing that stuff back to life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been a road musician for a long time. And it's, it has its pluses and minuses. The pluses, of course, are getting to see new places and meet new people and play the music. The minuses are the travel and the dealing with all that stuff. And uh, so I'm kind of trying to figure out exactly where I want to go. But, I, yeah, I've been on the on the hunt for I mean, the Larry gig is great. I absolutely love it. I want to do that as much as I can. But some of the other stuff that pull me in different directions, I'm trying to figure out. And I got to see that because you weren't on the cruise with those guys. Right. You were somewhere else. I was on a family vacation in Belgium. Yeah. And, of course, family comes first. There were so many birthdays and, and anniversaries and all sorts of stuff I missed, especially when my kids were little because I was on the road. I joined uh, a band, a singer out of L.A. named Janova Magnus in 2010. Okay. And we were doing 200 and 250 shows a year. Wow. And sometimes I would be out for six weeks, home for a week, out for another six weeks, home for a week. It was just insane. And my kids were little. My youngest was not even two years old at the time. I drove truck for a while, I understand. Yeah, it was, it was hard. Did you end up uh, getting to record with her at all? I did a couple records with her, yeah. Okay, yeah. It was she, great. It was, she's one of my favorites. It was a great experience. Um, I eventually left because of that pull from home. My kids needed me. My eldest yep. daughter especially was really acting out at the time, and we couldn't figure it out. And then I finally talked to her, and it became obvious it was because she missed me, and I wasn't yeah. home. So I'm like, okay, time to come home. Yeah, it's it's got to be tough Yeah, being out on the road all the time and not getting to be with your family it as is. much as you'd like. Yeah. yeah, You're listening to Time Signatures. Glad to have you along. I'm Jim Irvin. We've got Dedalian Lowry over here, our special guest today, Mike Scorey, Jim Alfredson. And uh, we were just having all kinds of fun talking about music and, and the blues and the greater Lansing area, the early days. And to me, there's always, there's always something that draws you back when you, especially when you leave, you know, and you come back to the greater Lansing area and mm-hmm. you find out that there's a band around that you haven't seen in forever. I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the band right now that Mike Lynch plays with that hadn't been around for a while. The Matt was, I don't even want to say it. The Mash? The Lash. The Lash. The Lash, yeah. yeah. Celtic band, yeah. Everybody was talking about The Lash. And on, on St. Patrick's Day, I was invited to go out to Gravity um, because I had never heard of The Lash. And, man, they blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't blues. It was something different. But, I mean, it was it was a wonderful experience. Yeah. So, Mike, I didn't I, I didn't want to skip over you. What's, what's new and exciting in your world? What are you doing these days? Well, as Jim said, we both – Got into the electronic repair business, so I have a shop set up at a, a local music store called Music Manor, keyboards, and give myself a plug, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> guitar amps. Sometimes if the guys can't figure out a guitar, you know, uh, you know, the guitars with a lot of electronics in them, I'll do that, but I'm not a guitar repair guy. So I really like that. Actually, what you guys have caught me in another cycle where I... I hit the wall this fall and I'm just kind of retired from playing. I mean, I, I'll do like one a month. So well, I got to see you. Was it, uh, was a blues brawl or breaking bread or something like oh, that? Oh yeah. You came yeah, out and you played it, for yeah, a while. Yeah. That's the first time I'd seen you play. And I thought, man, he just, 
just letting it flow, just having a good well, time. Well, it was fun. And, I did, yeah. Even though I played a lot, I hadn't played with a band in a number of years. The pandemic sort of switched things around. Yeah. And you're at home sitting around. So I just started learning songs. I was like, you know, I can sing this. I can sing this. I changed the key. I can sing this. I learned like, I don't know, two or 300 songs. And by the, by June, people were calling me up. Hey, can you do a solo over here? Can you do a solo over here? He goes, how many, you can't fit 25 people in the bar. Well, that's okay. So I kept getting calls. I probably did 80 jobs the pandemic year. Wow. And sometimes it was clandestine. It was like, <laughs> okay, can you, my cottage is up north of Ionia. Can you come up there? Well, how much is it? Okay, I'll be there. And, you know, and it, and it just, so I started doing it, and then it just kept going. And so then I booked more, and I presume it's two nights a week, three nights a week. And that went real strong. And so you caught me playing with a great band. So, yes, I was in bliss because I didn't have to, you know, I just enjoy, just rode the wave. I could just play. But now I'm not. I'm not playing but once a month. I'm really interested in this repair job I got going. I'm taking this opportunity to try to get better at it. Well, and it's kind of fun because, I mean, for those of for those folks that follow you guys on social media, I love seeing the stories. I the story that I saw today from Jim when he was working on a piano that somebody <laughs> I got to find that. Yeah. <laughs> and I and my heart just broke for the people that bought it. But I mean, seeing the process and you were working on it. Was it a microphone last night? Yeah. Yep. And you know, rewiring and it's to me that's fun because you're bringing stuff back to life that you know that otherwise isn't going to be used. It's music from the other angle. From the right. Other yeah. Just, and I, I I lucked out that my dad got into the tuning thing because he taught me how to do it as well. And so it served me through the low times, you know, during the last recession, 2007, 2008, and then the pandemic, I was still tuning pianos because everybody was stuck at home. And then right. they realized, oh, my piano needs to <laughs> It's out of tune. I haven't played in yeah. ages. So I just <laughs> yeah. mask up. I'd ask them to mask up. And when I go over there and tune their piano, I was busy as, as all get out. And tuning pianos during the pandemic was People, great. Yep. People are at home yep. looking around. I guess I'll plunk on this thing. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to thank both of you for being here for this episode. We are hopefully going to be able to get another one in before we get done uh, and send you on your way. But we definitely uh, appreciate having both of you in today and being part of the program. Uh, it's uh, the, Some of the stories, I'm sure we've got more stories to, to cover and talk about in the future. And Mike's over here making a face. So <laughs> we'll see Is this how far a show we for get. kids or for adults? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, maybe big kids. Oh, you know? okay. But as I said, we want to thank you for being here today. And uh, we definitely look forward to having you and uh, maybe come back again and, and do another episode you, or two or three or four and share some more stories. What do you think? You bet. This is this is really fun. Yeah. Sounds Taking great. a minute and thinking over the past 40, 50 years, you know. Absolutely. It's really fun. Well, we're going we're gonna to have more. I guarantee you we will have more. So until next time, we appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. And we will see you on the next edition of Time Signatures. This has been Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. For more information on cabs, visit capitalareablues.org. You can find this episode and past episodes at lccconnect.org. The Time Signatures theme song, Michigan Roads, is used by permission and was written by Root Doctor, featuring Freddie Cunningham.
until next time, keep on keeping the blues alive. Keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College has been a proud collaborator of the Mason Promise Scholarship since 2016. The Mason Promise Scholarship is a community organization of volunteers that guarantees funding for two years of Lansing Community College education to selected Mason public school students. These selected students are chosen by the Mason Public Schools at the end of the fifth grade and then become a Mason Promise Scholarship through an induction ceremony. Over the course of the next six years, these students receive mentoring and support as well as introduction to career possibilities through the Pathway Program. For more information on the Mason Promise Scholarship at LCC, please visit lcc.edu hope. Are you or someone you know having thoughts of suicide or experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis? 988 connects you to compassionate and confidential support for free. 988 is a three-digit dialing code for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. For years, the Lifeline, formerly known as the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, has answered tens of millions of calls and helped people overcome mental health-related distress. 988 is the same trusted resource. When you call, text, or chat 988, you will be quickly connected to trained crisis counselors who will listen to your concerns, provide support, and get you additional help if needed. There is hope. The Lifeline works. You are not alone in crisis. Just call, text, or chat 988. Founded in 1957, LCC has addressed the needs of Michigan industries through education for more than 65 years. Anchored by the downtown campus located in the heart of Lansing, LCC serves mid-Michigan communities with additional campuses in Delta Township, East Lansing, and Livingston County. The college offers more than 200 degrees and certificate programs and is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Those interested in learning more about LCC may visit lcc.edu slash youbelong. Hi, I'm Melissa Kaplan, and I host a show called Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. It's all about the creativity in our classrooms and on campus here at LCC and the connections we have with the community. You can catch Galaxy Forum here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to The Land Scene. I'm Lucy Solis, and this is a program dedicated to the people of our city. I wanted to create a place for us to have authentic conversations about the inspired stories, opportunities, and resources available right here in our town. As someone who has spent a portion of my life in poverty, I was able to change my trajectory through the help and the resources available right here in our community. I am proof that when we unify, our city and its people can rise together.
Greetings, Capital City. This is Lucy with The Land Scene. And today in the studio, we have Sergeant Mandy B. Singer from LPD. Welcome, Mandy. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. So let's just dive a little bit into your history. So tell me a little bit about yourself and what led you to become a police officer. Well, I was uh, born and raised a little bit north of here in St. John's, but I was here at LCC uh, going to school and I got a job with their public safety. And their public safety at the time was staffed with retired Lansing police officers. And I really uh, fell in love with the profession. I was not going to school for that originally. Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up doing a ride along with the Lansing Police Department. I was like, this is where I wanna be and this is what I wanna do. And I changed my major and started with the police uh, department as a cadet. So you just knew it. I just knew it. Right along and it was like this clicked. This is what I wanna do. I, I like uh, being out and, and about and, and interacting with people. And I like maybe not always knowing what is in store for me. And, um, yeah, we had a blast and I was really like, I can see myself doing this as a, as a career. And so like I said, changed the major and, uh, within a few months I got hired with Lansing police and I've been there ever since. That is awesome. And I can see why you would want to do that because I had the opportunity to do a ride along and it was only for four hours, but it was it was so fun and it was so eye-opening and um, it, it just gives you as a civilian a different perspective of the day in the life of a police officer. Um, and I, I want to thank you. I know we're going to get more in and dive a little deeper into it, but I want to thank you so much for your service um, to our community because it is a lot oh, absolutely. what you guys go through yes. daily. Um, so you did the ride along, you went to LCC, and then you went to school, you went to Cadet? Yes, I got hired in as a cadet, which is more of like an administrative uh, job. Um, It's more for uh, people that have just graduated high school. They're going to college. Maybe they're not quite old enough to be a police officer yet. Uh, You can be a police officer at age 18. It's a little young in my opinion, but Mm -hmm. uh, Lansing Police, we prefer you to be 2021. And yeah, I worked with them for a year and a half, and they sponsored me to the Mid-Michigan Police Academy, which is also here at Lansing Community College. And um, once you pass that academy, uh, then they give you a job as a police officer. So then once you got hired in at LPD, like where did you start? Like, like how did your career, you know, take, walk me through your career. So for my career, mm-hmm. uh, the great thing about our department is we have so many opportunities for our officers. So as a entry level officer, you are going to start out as a patrol officer. That mm-hmm. is the backbone of any law enforcement agency. And I worked patrol for a long time mm-hmm. and um, I became a field training officer while I was, a, while I was on patrol. Um, and then I got the opportunity to go into our violent crime initiative team or be a part of that. Uh, again, uh, learned a lot during that mm-hmm. um, and came back out, uh, joined our dive rescue team. Uh, did that for a few years. Also joined um, our crisis negotiators and on our tactical team. Did that for a number of years um, before being uh, undercover. Actually, I'm still a crisis negotiator. <laughs> oh, wow. um, then I was an undercover uh, officer for a narcotics officer for a couple of years, and then I got promoted to sergeant. So I'm a sergeant now. I've been a sergeant for about four years. And um, during my time as a sergeant, I was a patrol sergeant for a little bit. And then I um, have spent the last three years as our staff services sergeant, which is our department's um, recruiter. We wear a lot of hats, but our main, my main job is uh, as the department's recruiter. Wow. That's a lot. It, it can be. That's a lot. <laughs> so what, what other departments, um, for, for the listeners out there, what other departments can you move up that you didn't mention? Is there any other... Yeah, as far as special assignments, Mm -hmm. I mean, we we have almost, if anything you want to do as a police officer, 
we probably have it. So uh, just as, as a police officer, you can be uh, you can ride our motorcycles, you can um, be a community policing officer, you can be a um, community service officer, we have that position, um, canine officer, um, let's see, we have, and th- those are full-time assignments, we also mm-hmm. have like secondary assignments, um, so that's where your crisis negotiators, you know, your accident investigators, um, tactical team, we have our own tactical team, that's always a really big one. Um, we actually have two uh, opportunities to be an undercover officer with us and also with the uh, Michigan State Police, mm-hmm. um, t- their concept team that's in the area. Um, we also have, we hear a lot of times, off- or people will say, well, I want to be an officer for a few years and then I want to go to the federal government um, and be in the FBI or DEA, ATF. And that's great. Uh, we have that opportunity at our department. So not only do we have agents from those agencies embedded in our department, we also have officers that are credentialed with those agencies and work alongside of them. Um, so you don't have to, you know, go through another academy or move your family um, to be a part of those organizations. We have them right here, and you can do both by staying in with the Lansing Police Department in the city of Lansing. That's awesome. So you can yes. do all that here. So very unique for each special assignment. You offer the training as well here. Yes. Yep. Yep. We make sure you get training. We'll send you to the training. Um, and um, you, you know, usually you have to be either you'll do it just before going into the. Uh, the assignment. Um, detectives are another one. That's a really big one that will get you a lot of hands-on training prior to becoming a detective. Um, and then uh, you'll get a little more hands-on training if you have like a specialty or something as you get into those assignments. That is awesome. And especially when you mentioned the FBI one, because I didn't know that. Yes. That's yep. pretty cool. So they'll, they'll prep you here and do they partner with the feds? Yes, we do. So okay. yes, usually those agencies, um, you know, you have to put it, you put in your name that you say you're interested and those agencies will, uh, will work with the department to kind of see what, who, which officer they would want. Um, right now we only have one officer in each of those three assignments, but, um, like I said, then you work alongside of them and you take Lansing area cases to those agencies. That's awesome. I did not know that. That's pretty <laughs> cool. So for the listeners out there, tell me like a day in the life of like, with the community and, and, and one of the roles you had, like, what do you feel like was the most impactful? I mean, we, we, we know a lot about the patrol, but like mm-hmm. anything else you could share with us? So my, my thing, um, being a crisis negotiator, mm-hmm. uh, again, obviously when you're a police officer, we, we don't get a lot of the time uh, sometimes to interact with, with the community when they're having a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, when we have those down times, it's really important for us to be out there and making those connections um, just to say hi or play basketball with kids, stuff like that. But for me, my personal, um, you know, has been as a crisis negotiator and being on those scenes where, uh, you know, someone's having the worst day of their life mm-hmm. and, you know, they're thinking about really bad options mm-hmm. and being able to talk to them and build that rapport with them. And then, um, and there's been a couple instances where, you know, I've been able to, you know, get them to come out of the house and get them to talk to me safely um, and then get them the help that they need. And um, there's been a few that I've kept in contact with that are, you know, productive. Uh, You know, they're like, thank you, because I was, you know, I I didn't think I could ever, you know, see myself living a a great life. And because of you and you just taking that time, I'm able to, you know, I've had, I have kids now, Mm -hmm. I have a job, I have my own house, all this kind of stuff where they didn't think that maybe, um, their life was worth living anymore. And now here they are and they're a productive member, um, you know, in society. Yeah. Thank you. Cause I, I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine going through that and, and, and helping it, it's, it's rewarding to help someone, but just absolutely, absolutely. the experience of and going the, through that and the trauma. Yes. And, that, and that's the other thing is, I mean, 
as patrol, you, you get that a lot too, is that you, people are calling you and they don't know what to do. Um, mm-hmm. Even something as maybe a minor traffic crash, they've never been in an accident before and they don't think, well, you know, what do I do next? We well, call your car insurance and here, here, you know, and just helping them through those, those tougher times um, is always been rewarding to me is that, you know, just to kind of be uh, maybe a little bit of positive light in their life when it, they're not having the greatest day. Right, because sometimes people can be intimidated by the police. Absolutely, I know. know. And we're people just like everyone else. That's something that, you know, I'll say this. This is something that uh, all officers hate to hear. Uh, Those parents that have their small children and they say, hey, you better behave or they're going to arrest you. We don't like to hear that. We want them to know that we're here to help. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not scary. Uh, and, and, you know, we, sh- we, we are here to be a partner with the community and not work against them. So to piggyback off of that, how do you feel LPD, because I see you guys everywhere, um, as your community police officers, how do, you f- how do you build that rapport with the community, that trust with the community, that relationship? I think that it's, it's going out there and, and working alongside of them. Again, it's not just the showing up to them, to, to their houses or their area when they need uh, police assistance or there's something going wrong. It's being out there and, you know, helping uh, a neighborhood maybe clean up an abandoned house. It's being out there, um, you know, the parks are a really big thing now that it's starting to get warmer. Um, you know, being out there making sure that they have safe equipment and, and listening to people's complaints on what we can do to make their lives, their areas better for them. Um, and it's not always arresting people and writing tickets. And I think that's so important, listening. Yes. and Because and it makes people feel heard. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's what it is. And it's, and it's also, though, letting them know that we love this community just as much as those you know, those people that are living in the community that we're talking to, we're like, we're here for a reason. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm not originally from here. My entire adult life has been here, and I've never once thought of leaving this community because it is so great. And, it's awesome. It's and, the best. Yes. I love Lansing. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's a lot of, you know, just, just letting them know that we're here for them. And we, and we have a lot of different resources that we can help them with or direct them to get, get them in touch with certain um, people. And all they have to do is let us know. And I think that it sometimes, you know, Sometimes people are better at building that rapport than others, mm-hmm. um, and and we do have officers that are there to look at the hard crime and all that kind of stuff. But we do have a large majority of our officers that really want to be out there and they want to have that personal contact connection with uh, with the community as well, and and that's what we're here for. Um, and I think that you know the more events that we go to and the more interaction we have with our community, the stronger those bonds are built. And that's kind of what the emphasis is with the community police. Policing, yep. And Absolutely. and there's one per, is it ward or? No, well, so we have, I think we're stemmed out for, I want to say 11. Um, we don't oh. quite have 11 right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they're, they're, they're in uh, various areas of the city. Okay. Um, and and then that, that's their job. That's what they love to do. And, and generally they are assigned to areas that need a little more resources for whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe it is a little bit higher crime. Maybe it's a larger business area. Uh, maybe, you know, there's a large group of um, like a refugee population that maybe don't uh, know this area very well and just need additional resources. And, and that's what those officers are there for is to really focus in on, on that little area of our, of our community and build those bonds and get those residents with anything they might need. I still hear um, positive compliments from the first responder food drive. Like that impacted so many people. And so, like you said, not you're just not out there and answering questions and engaging and picking up trash, but you're 
have an opportunity to interact with them and give them food, something that they need, which is so impactful. And again, thank you to you and your team for that, that, I mean, I still hear about just the other day, somebody complimented, when's the next one? And so it's pretty awesome that you guys do that and think about the yeah, and, th- and there's been so many things. Our community service officers, uh, who, th- th- those people that have taken on those roles, they have so many things that they do uh, that aren't advertised. I mean, every year we adopt families for Christmas, mm-hmm. and, and us as officers bring in money or gifts to give to them. No senior without a Christmas. We're always involved in that. Mm-hmm. That's um, the, huge. The food drives, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and there's so many different ways that um, we want to give back to our community, and we hold a lot of different events throughout the year for that purpose. Mm-hmm. So if, if somebody listening um, here in Lansing wanted to get a hold of their community resource officer, right, would they just go to LPD's website and they can kind of see Absolutely. Yep, yep. their area? Yes. Is that how it's divided yes. up? If you so go to lansingpolice.com is the easiest way. It will direct you to our website. Uh-huh. Um, and then you can kind of look at different resource or different um, areas of our city that we have and the different resources and the officers assigned to them. And then their contact information is right there. Yes. That is awesome. Wow, you got me thinking. I'm so excited. I'm so excited about just hearing that because it gets me motivated to interact more and engage with the community and the police, yes. you know what I mean, and, and get us out there. So, so tell me about future police officers. Tell me, how, how do you guys reach out to them? How do they, I mean, do they contact you? How does that work? A little bit of both. We have actually a lot of opportunities uh, for people to become police officers, and we're always looking for people within our community to become police officers in our department. And, you know, we really think that that's the best way for them to make another positive impact in their community. Mm -hmm. And so we start out very young. We have an explorers program, and those are for people that um, are, you know, around 14 high school age. Mm -hmm. Uh, They meet a couple times a week, and they go over a variety of things. Um, they, They are learning how to be a police officer, so they will do mock um, interviews and mock traffic stops, uh, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have a statewide competition that they do every year. Our explorers are, uh, they've won several years of that, or they've placed always in the top three. That's a really great group that we have. Um, but that's kind of a way to kind of keep them engaged. And then another part of that is when we have our bigger events, Silver Bells in the City, Common Ground, little things like that, where maybe we need a little bit more hands-on presence. These young uh, guys and gals will come out and they will help us um, and they'll be a part of it. And you just love seeing the smile on their face and it's great getting such young people involved in community events. Uh, Once they graduate high school, they can still stay part of the Explorers, but then we have opportunities for them to be a cadet. And like I said, that's where I started out. And a cadet is something um, right now where they do some administrative stuff. They handle our front desk. Uh, they do uh, any of the online reporting that uh, someone might put in, they kind of put that in there. So they do kind of more of that clerical work for us, but they get experience in speaking with people, customer service, uh, report writing, and then they get to do a lot of ride-alongs uh, along with our officers as well. Once they become 21, that's when we, or around that age, they'll, they'll, we'll send them to the academy, mm-hmm. um, and then they can become a police officer with us. So it's an easy way to you know kind of have that guaranteed step into going to the academy. Um, and like I said, sponsorships, we're always uh, looking for sponsorships right now, which is going to those police academies. Um, we go, uh, there's two police academies uh, right now at LCC mm-hmm. and uh, one in the spring, one in the fall. And again, we'll pay for your school. We pay you to go and then we guarantee you a job when you come out. That is awesome. Yes. And, and like I said, the academies are not cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 17 weeks and it is, you know, 40 plus hours a week. And I think my recruits that are in there right now, they might say it's actually closer to 50 or 60, but <laughs> um, they're almost done. They graduate here in a few weeks. And, um, and it's, it's a really great thing. Um, like I said, at LCC, 
maybe I'm a little biased, but I think their academy is one of the best in the state. So it's, it's really fun to watch uh, a new recruit come into that academy on that first day and, and mm-hmm. graduate with that confidence and ready to um, come out and, you know, meet their community that they're going to be serving and just really excited to get back into or get back, get into the job itself. So to go back a little bit on the Explorer program, is that something that they can get information from from their schools? Is that how that works? No. Well, like if you're 14 when you're talking about being 14? Yeah. So usually I, th- I believe that they actually, I think maybe like the scouts are the ones that kind of pass on Explorer stuff. But uh, again, that's something on our website that we have. Okay. So that information um, yes. is available on the yep. website. Okay. Yep. One of the things that is on our website that I know is, is contact a recruiter. There is an option to contact uh, for the police explorers as well. I was just going to ask you that. How does somebody contact? Yes. <laughs> what about, um, I know we've talked before a little bit. You guys have recruiting fairs too mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Occasionally. Or a couple times a year, I can't remember what you said. I'm sorry. Well, we, we go a lot of, to a lot of recruiting fairs. Okay. So whether okay. it be at colleges or universities, um, we've been reaching out to high school classes to see if maybe if anyone if they have a group of people that are interested, can we come in and talk to them? Um, we've done like some of the counties have uh, like track programs for law enforcement. So we always are there talking to them. In fact, today they're doing a, a competition uh, in Ingham County, and so we have recruiters there. Uh, just, what kind of competition? Uh, I, I believe, I've never been to this one before, uh-huh. but I believe that uh, the Wilson Ta- Talent Center in uh-huh. Ingham County is showcasing what they've learned uh, this awesome. year. And so, and then they have officers there that are, are judging them and, you know, kind of grading them on how they handle a situation. They're going on like mock calls and stuff like that. So That is awesome. Um, my cousin's little boy was in that program. Yes, it's a great program. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Anything else you'd like to share with us? About LPD, I think we wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, community members, you know, I, I feel personally that I've felt the, the support of the community. But if there are people out there that, you know, feel that we can do better uh, and we're always willing to listen to that. And if you want to have more of a hands on look for what we do, uh, more than just that ride along, always look into the Citizens Police Academy. That's a great thing mm-hmm. uh, to be a part of. I believe it's like eight weeks long. It's like on a Wednesday for a couple hours. And it's a great way to see uh, see things from our side mm-hmm. and, and kind of just get a different perspective. But like, I, but we're always willing to, you know, see other people's perspective as well. And, uh, but I always look at those police, those citizens police academies, because it, it does give you a lot of information uh, that maybe you don't always know. And, mm-hmm. um, and then it also gives you an opportunity to have more of an interaction with someone that maybe is a use of force expert or, um, someone that is in charge of recruiting. And then you can have those one-on-one conversations with those that you might not always get just calling someone to your house or stopping uh, someone that you see in the, on the roadway and wanting to talk to them, where you're going to have those experts there. That's awesome. And that is also available on the website? Yes. yes. So citizens, and that's once a year? Uh, they have them a couple times a year, oh, but times a year. Uh, okay. right now our community service officer, Officer Anthony Vandevorty, is mm-hmm. the one that handles those. So if you contact him, he can let you know when, when the next one is. So I think they usually have them in the fall and spring. That's awesome. That's awesome. I cannot thank you enough for your service. Again, I've done a ride along. It was just very, very eye-opening. Um, thank you, Mandy, so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank All you. Right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to The Land Scene. Music for The Land Scene provided by Joystack. For more information, go to joystack.org. To listen to this episode and others on demand, visit lccconnect.org. If you have a story to share or would like to be a guest on the show, let me know. I'm Lucy, and thanks once again, Capital City. It means so much to me to have the support of our community. 
Remember, when unified, our city and its people can rise together. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College Performing Arts features several events and presentations throughout the year. Find more information by visiting lcc.edu slash showinfo. I'm Ben Utech. I played high school, college, and pro football, helping my team win the 2006 championship. It was an amazing day, but it can't compare to the joy I feel every day with my loving wife and three beautiful daughters. My football career ended after I suffered my fifth concussion. Did you know that over a million athletes suffer a concussion each year? That includes boys and girls, every age, every type and level of sport. It isn't always clear that a player has had a concussion. So parents, athletes, and coaches need to learn about concussion signs and symptoms. The American Academy of Neurology recommends athletes thought to have a concussion be immediately removed from play and not returned until assessed by a healthcare professional trained in concussion. This isn't just about sports. It's about your brain. When in doubt, sit it out. Learn more at aan.com concussion. That's aan.com concussion. A message from the American Academy of Neurology. LCC Connect is looking for Lansing Community College students to vibe with us. Join us for the podcast power-up contest. Students, your voice is important, so take this opportunity to tell us what's important to you with the chance to host a podcast radio show on 89.7 FM. We'll be taking power-up submissions through the end of summer. Catch the vibe and find the details at lcc.edu slash power-up. That's lcc.edu slash power-up. The Modern Warehousing Program through the Job Training Center at Lansing Community College is an industry-led program that prepares individuals for frontline material handling and supply chain logistic positions in medical centers, fulfillment centers, warehouses, and factories. Those who complete this program can earn multiple certifications. Visit lcc.edu slash JTC training for more information. LCC Connect Voices Vibes Vision It's time for another edition of Equity. Equity is a play on words spelled E Q U I T dash T E A because I just love a cup of tea. It's also an opportunity for us to gain tips on diversity, equity, and inclusion and allow you to thrive in your knowledge about how you can become an inclusive individual in your everyday living. So grab your sweet cup of tea and let's dive into today's topic. Today on Equity, we're going to provide tips on how you and I can effectively navigate diversity, equity, and inclusion in a multi-identity workplace. 
I'm going to say that again, how to navigate diversity, equity, and inclusion in a multi-identity workplace. You know, there are five tips that I'm going to share with you today, and I think it's really important because all of our workplaces are a melting pot of multi-identities. And oftentimes, as we're in these workplaces, even virtually, we're having to engage with people from a variety of different backgrounds. These tips are going to help you be effective in your workplace. Here's tip number one. Be understanding. Yep. Be understanding. Very simple. We have to begin to recognize that the experiences of others are unique. Not everyone's experience of history is the same as yours. Some of your colleagues may have been beneficiaries of social change designed to support those who've experienced the negative impact of past social rules, expectations, or even values. Others in your workplace may be resentful of social movements designed to correct the inequalities of our past. I want you, in being understanding, to seek to understand the experiences of others and how this perspective shapes their interpretation or experiences of the present. So number one in navigating diversity, equity, inclusion in a multi-identity workplace is to what? Be understanding. Let's take a quick sip as we have that new tip. Second tip today is to be empathetic. Terms like oppression, assimilation, segregation, civil rights, and even multiculturalism are also describing society legacies that have different meanings in different national and geographic contexts. Try to learn how to be a person uh, that will be open to a variety of different backgrounds and views. Share the impact of your story and allow the willingness of others to be curious and be vulnerable in dialogue as this creates shared experiences that we all can benefit. Tip number three is to be present. Draw from your multi-identity experiences to connect with others. If a society legacy has been negatively affecting one of your colleagues, be aware of that and acknowledge it. Don't ignore it. Stay present in conversations when people are sharing their stories or their experiences or their ideas. Tip number four. Be respectful. I know Aretha Franklin taught us all how to spell R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And therefore, this is an important method when we're trying to navigate DEI in a multi-identity workplace. When we talk about being respectful, we're asking you as the individual to experience others in their or from their perspective or shoes. If a colleague from an identity or group does not share the identity groups of the normal experience in the room, don't alienate them. Often be the one that brings them into the conversation or acknowledges their culture, their history, and their perspective. Finally, I want you to take this last tip with a big sip of tea. Be open. That's right. Our last tip tells us that we need to recognize that everyone has different perspective and experiences that should be honored. It is not helpful to tell people that what they've experienced doesn't matter. We all know what it feels like to be excluded, and we all know how joyful it is to be included. That only happens when we are open. So here again are our five tips. Be understanding, be empathetic, be present, be respectful, and be open. I'm Dr. Tanya Bailey, giving you another episode and version of Equity. This day, we're learning how to navigate diversity, equity, and inclusion in a multi-identity workplace. I'll see you next time.
This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ Studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.